2008 World Champions of Baseball. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. It's Wednesday, February 6, 2018. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesco. And Chet, let's just open this show with some big names. Tobias Harris, Carter Hart, Nick Foles, Bryce Harper. We have a blockbuster Sixers trade involving Harris. Hart is on fire, and the Flyers have won eight in a row. Nick Foles is getting the franchise tag as the Eagles plan to trade him. Oh, yeah, and still no word on Bryce Harper with spring training fast approaching. Oh, by the way, Jet, the Patriots and Tom Brady won the Super Bowl. <laughs> All right, Carter Hart, terrific. We'll talk about him with our first guest in a couple of minutes. Nick Foles, the franchise tag thing is still just speculation at this point, uh, Bill. Don't jump to conclusions. The Sixers had that big win over the Warriors, but then they lost their next two games and then made that huge trade. But they, you know, got Tobias Harris. Did they give up too much for him? We'll discuss. Much to discuss regarding the Sixers. And, uh, yeah, congrats to the stinking Patriots, I guess. But that Super Bowl was not so super. Well, well, we'll get into that a little bit later on because I think you and I may disagree on that surprisingly. And by the way, we will have a special announcement about our show coming up in about a half hour as well. So stick with us. Yeah, and hey, Chad, and I tell you uh, on this Nick Foles thing, and we'll we'll talk to the about this a little bit with our first guest. But uh, it does look like they're planning to put that franchise tag on Foles at about a twenty-five million dollar ticket, I believe, is the number. And uh, then they then they get to trade them, and uh, you know. It, it actually works out better for Foles, I believe, because he can decide a little more where he wants to go. Uh, but also, the Eagles get some financial gain in doing it this way as well. So I think this is uh, this is a business move, and everybody's involved in, in playing checkers right now. Yeah, I think they're only going to do the franchise tag thing if they're like 99% confident they have a trade partner lined up. So I'm sure there's some of that discussion going on already. There's no way he's coming back to the Eagles. We know that. So he's going to go somewhere. It's just going to be a question. Is he going to go on his own, or is it going to be a trade worked out by the Eagles and the other team? Well, what's going to be interesting, There's a, obviously there's a lot of rumors and there's a lot of teams that need a good quarterback. Uh, but interestingly is one of them is the New York football giants. How would you like to have Nick Foles and Saquon Barkley lining up against us? That wouldn't be too good. It would certainly be interesting, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. We'll see. Let's get to our guests. Right. Yeah, well, you know, we have, we have a couple uh, great guests tonight and legendary WIP host Glenn Mack now in the first half of the show and the long time, 25 years actually, voice of the Sixers, Mark Zumoff in the second half. Yeah, this is going to be a fun show, and I have a hunch we have some more uh, new listeners joining us this week, so welcome to our newbies. We hope you like what you hear, and we'll come back every week. And, Bill, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about having these two Philly broadcasting legends with us, Glenn Mack, now 25 years at WIP, and Mark Zumoff, as you mentioned, 25 years as the TV voice of the Sixers. So let's get it going, shall we? Let's do it. And with that, let's welcome Glenn Mack now back to Philly Press Box Radio. Glenn, welcome. Thank you, guys. How are you doing tonight? Fantastic. 
Hey, Glenn, this is Chet. Congrats on your 25 years at WIP, which we will talk about in just a bit. But you and I have both fretted for many years about the Flyers' goaltending situation. We're going to talk about that first. Finally, there is a reason to believe they have a long-term solution. He's just 20 years old, but Carter Hart certainly looks pretty darn good. Is he the guy we've been waiting for? I think so. I, I think he's the real deal, and I I know how unfair it is to put the hopes of a franchise on the shoulders of a 20-year-old who's played, what, 14, 15 games in the NHL. But, um, you know, I watch him play, and I see how cool he is. I see how well he positions himself. He's fundamentally sound. He's mature beyond his years. He's got the pedigree coming up. Uh, this franchise has not had a first-rate goalie since Ron Hextall, 1987, and I think they finally got him again. Well, you know, Glenn, the thing that I've noticed in, in watching the games is is in, be, in the periods, you know, is the commentaries from Bill Clement, Jeremy, Jeremy Roenick, um, Jonesy, uh, Chris Terrian, and you have ex-players raving about this kid. To me, that's the that's the real the real deal, the real ticket there. Yeah, because they can see the, the weaknesses and they can see the promise and they know it on a level that's more than any of us know it. Um, and I've talked to some uh, former Flyers players about him, um, and there's nobody that sees a flaw. Again, I, I know it's not fair. He's 20 years old, and he's going to have some down periods, right? It's not going to be a straight arc without problems, but this franchise, which has been down, has not won a playoff round since 2012, I think the arrow is up now. All of a sudden, they have won eight in a row. They're just seven points out of the final wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. Still 29 games on the schedule, so there is time. We'll see what happens. Uh, Glenn, we've got to talk Sixers, though. The Sixers this morning announced a huge trade with the Clippers, getting a 26-year-old star forward in Tobias Harris. He's averaging 21 points a game. He's a real good outside shooter. They gave up a lot in the deal, that's true, but clearly they're going all in here, are they not? Yeah, and I was never a believer, big believer in the process, but – you know, one of the things about the process was you wait for the right time and then you, you grab everything you can. They are doing that now. Um, he fits a lot of things they need. He's another outside shooter mm-hmm. beyond Reddick, right? He gives you a second threat out there. I think he's going to help the spacing on the team. Um, they're going to have, I believe they're going to have to make one more move. The trade deadline is tomorrow. They have no bench anymore. It doesn't matter as much in the playoffs when your starters fill all the minutes, but going down the stretch, if you don't want to, if you don't want to kill those five starters, you're going to have to add some bench guys. Uh, but be, I'm sorry, I didn't answer your original question. I think he's a real help. I think he's a top-notch player, and um, I think, boy, their starting five is, I, I think, better than anybody in the East anyway. Yeah, yep. Well, Glenn, what do you think about the uh, the stories, the rumors we're hearing about the Jimmy Butler and is he a good teammate? Is he staying? Is he going? Do you, you think that's that's media frenzy stuff, or do you think uh, there's something to that? And is is Butler going to be the guy moving forward? I'm not around the Sixers enough. I'm not in the you know the locker room. I don't go to their practices, so I, I I'm not going to give you the informed opinion. I wish I could, but I have heard the same things that you have heard. Some of that buzz. Jimmy Butler's been around. His reputation is not being a great teammate. Um, the thing with him is you have to decide at the end of the year if he's going to be his contract's over, are you going to be all in on giving him a five-year, probably max contract of $190 million? 
That's a real risk. I tell you, I, I, um, I, I you know, he, he's going to be here this year. They're going to have the opportunity to win. We'll see how it plays out. But uh, if I had to guess, I would guess against signing him just because it's such a heavy and long-term commitment. I agree entirely. I have a hunch that they're going to keep Harris. They're going to let Butler walk because they don't want to give him the max, but we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Hey, where do you stand on Brett Brown, Glenn? Is he the guy that you think you know, can lead them to the finals? Um, that's a great question. Um, I love Brett as a guy. I think we all love Brett as a guy. Um, he's, yep. you know, he's gone through so much. So he's, he's 40 years in the desert, this poor guy, and now he's out of it. So I don't want to, um, you know, I don't want to push him out the door that he's made it through all this. There are certain games when I'm watching and he doesn't seem to, they're, they're not good at closing the deal. Um, and sometimes I think that's him. There are times when he'll have guys on the floor that I'm thinking, boy, that, that, that doesn't work. Why, why are these guys in there? But, you know, this is the this is the prove it year for him. They don't have to win the championship. I don't even know if they have to go to the East, but they they did fall apart in the playoffs next year. I think the um, the fair thing to expect this year is that they get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and to me, that's how I would judge him. I would judge Brett at the end of the year. Okay, yeah, we'll see. Uh, turning to baseball, I'm going to ask you pretty much the same question I asked on last week's show when we had your WIP colleague James Seltzer on with us. What the heck is mm-hmm. going on with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, and why haven't the Phillies or any team signed one of these guys yet? Well, the market has changed from what it was years ago. Teams have um, stopped paying players essentially whatever they want, and teams are very wary now of these long eight-year, ten-year deals. So I think the Phillies and probably the White Sox and maybe one other team made their offer, and the agents for these players um, just – aren't ready to do it. They're just not ready to commit. So you have this game of chicken going out there while both sides are waiting for the other to budge. It happened last year. If you remember, J.D. Martinez was the biggest free agent of the offseason. His was a mere $100 million deal, not a $250 million deal. But still, he didn't sign, I believe, until February 24th. They were just about to begin spring training games. So that's the new norm, um, which isn't fun for anybody and it, it's awful for the fans, right? Because we're just waiting frustrated. But it's also awful because there are about 70 or 80 other players out there who can't move either because teams are uncertain or their agent. Okay, so Scott Boris is the agent now, right, for, for Harper. And yes. Scott Boris is also the agent for some players who are right there, Corey Kluber, the pitcher. So I think in Scott Boris's mind, you know, if the Phillies don't get Harper, well, maybe they'll decide they want Corey Kluber. So Corey Kluber's not signing. And then the next guy in that string of dominoes for Scott Boris, he's not signing. So the whole market is paralyzed. There's blame to go around. There's blame on the teams. There's blame on the players. But I think mostly it's the agents, and I think the number one guy there is Scott Boris. Wow, that's interesting. Well, hey, Glenn, it seems like a fallout might be uh, J.T. Romulto coming from the Marlins as a stopgap, or, or they're going to move Alfaro or Knapp. They started the season last year with both those guys as rookies, and now they're not happy with them, it, it seems. Uh, do you see that being somewhere they could go if the other two <laughs> fall through? Well, I think they could do I think they could do both. Real Muto is a, is a terrific player. Um 
listen, I like Jorge Alfaro. I don't think Nap's much to write home about, but I like Jorge Alfaro for his arm and for his home run power. He's got a horrible sense of the strike zone. He strikes out a ton, never walks. And he's not good. You know, all those years we, we saw Carlos Ruiz get down in the dirt and block those sliders hitting home plate. This guy can't do it. He's too big to do it, too bulky. So they see Alfaro's limitations. Again, I, I kind of like him, but they see his limitations. Real Muto is a terrific – he's one of the best two or three catchers in baseball with Buster Posey. Hurt, he's probably the best catcher in the National League now. Um so if the Phillies trade for him, he's a trade, not a free agent. He would be a great pickup. You're going to have to sign him to a long-term deal, but he'd be a great pickup. You'd end up losing Alfaro in the deal, but you'd get better at the position. And they, I don't think it hurts them. Actually, I think it may help their chances of signing a guy like Harper and or Machado if either of those guys uh, finds it important to play on a winning club because Real Muto is going to make you a better club. And the reports say the Marlins would want Sixto Sanchez as well, so we'll see. But, you know, speaking of the pitchers like Sanchez, I don't know if you agree, but I think they still need another starting pitcher because beyond Aranola, I'm not confident in any of those guys. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I'd like to hope Arietta's going to have a bounce-back year, but, his, you know, the, the arrow has been kind of steady decline on him. Yeah. I don't really trust the other kids. Uh, I've been waiting for Vinny Velazquez to – have a consistent season he hasn't Pavetta those you know they're they're all just kind of guys to me so if they really want to contend if they're a serious team yeah I think picking up one more really good starter helps and and as I said earlier those guys are still on the market they're just kind of sitting out there Hey, Glenn, where do you see Sir Anthony uh, fitting in this year now that they've added a, that Robertson that could be a closer uh, he, he put a little uh, juice in the game for the team last year. Then they kind of seemed like they burned him out a little bit, and he struggled down the stretch. Yeah, I think he got tired. I think you're right. Um, I like him a lot. I think that Gabe Kapler is not a manager who's going to say, this is my closer, he pitches the ninth inning, this is the way it's going to work. I think Gabe is kind of a new style manager who is going to use the reliever that he, he thinks is most appropriate at, at the time. So I wouldn't be surprised if both um, Dominguez and Robertson get 15 saves. If either of them is going to be the full-time closer, I think it, it's more likely to be Dominguez. I, I like Sir Anthony a lot. You're right. He wore out. It was a lot of innings for him. But, boy, uh, you know, assuming he took the winner off and that arm is fresh, there's something there. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got to get to the Eagles. We know Nick Foles is not coming back. I don't know how he's leaving, but he won't be back. Carson Wentz is the guy. He has the ability to be a franchise quarterback, obviously, but do you worry about the injuries? I do. Um, I do because it's been a lot of years in a row going back to college. The encouraging part of it is that it's never the same injury. He doesn't have, like, the chronically bad knee that you've got to worry, like, oh, the knee is done, right? He doesn't have that one body mm-hmm. part that you figure you're waiting for it to blow up. I, mean, I, I guess it's good that the injuries are kind of all spread around his body. Um, but he has been hurt every year, and it means that you have to have a reliable backup because you may not get 16 games plus playoffs out of him. But that said, I am one of those people who has not lost faith in Carson Wentz. I still think he can be one of the great quarterbacks in the league. 
Well, Glenn, as you look back on the Eagles season, how how do you rate the job that Doug Peterson did with all the injuries and all the things that they, they went through this year? Uh, what kind of grade do you give Peterson and his staff for uh, how this thing played out? I think I give Doug a B plus, I would guess. Um, you know, there's some moves he made, um, some strategic moves, some game moves, some personnel moves in the first half of the season that I really questioned, but the thing that Doug did really well is he held together a team which in other circumstances, uh, other circumstances in other cities probably would have fallen apart. You know, you're four and six. The season looks done. He never lost them, and, and he relied on his leadership team, those players, to, to kind of pull in the others. Um, Doug got a lot smarter in the back half of the season when they won. Um, he didn't, <laughs> but he looked like it. And I think the reason is because Doug's kind of like Charlie Manuel in a way, um, where I don't always know that he's the greatest strategic leader or strategic uh, guy, but I think he's a real uh, leader of men and his players like and respect him. And that helped this team down the stretch. That kept them, go- kept them going. They recovered. They made the playoffs. They won a game in the playoffs. So I'll, I'll, I'll give them a good solid B+. So, Glenn, give me three priorities for the Eagles offseason. What do they need to do to get back to the Super Bowl? <clears throat> well, you're going to have to address your offensive line, unfortunately. Um, I love Jason Peters, but I, I don't know what you're going to get out of him. Uh, unfortunately, Brandon Brooks had the torn Achilles, so he's going to be out most likely at least the first half of the year. Uh, and I don't think they're in love with the other guards. So, to me, offensive line is, is your biggest thing that you're going to have to address. Uh, the secondary is very much in flux. they got some young players who looked good, um, but I don't know if Darby is coming back. Sidney Jones was a question mark. Uh, you're, you're, you lost one of your safeties for an injury for the back half of the year, so you've got to get the secondary right. And then the third thing I would say is the running back. Um, there's, n- you know, there's nothing at the running back that impresses me right now. And, again, it, it plays into the injuries. I don't know what Corey Clement's future is. Um, I think Darren Sproles is probably done, and we'll see if they bring him back. But, he's, you know, he's not going to – he's more of a return guy than a running back. And they're going to have to – I think this team really lacks a good, dependable 250-carry uh, running back. Yep. Well, hey, Glenn, to close out the football conversation, uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have another ring. Um, are are they all that? I mean, the, the records certainly belong to them. Uh, you can't argue that point. But uh, boy, they they always seem to get it done when the money's on the line. Yeah, they're the best of all time. Look, I I hate it. You probably hate it, right? I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, they're the Patriots for God's sakes. But you know, Vince Lombardi was was one of the great, co- arguably the greatest coach of all time. Bill Walsh, um, I can't really go back. Chuck Knoll won the four Super Bowls in Pittsburgh, but Bill Belichick's won six, and nobody else has done that. Uh, he's, and he's won it at a time when it's tougher to maintain a dynasty because players come and go all, all the time. And Brady, uh, while he wasn't particularly good in the Super Bowl, he's the leader. He's 40, 41. How old is he? And um, Yeah, I think what we have there, as much as it pains me, and trust me, I don't like it, is the greatest coach and the greatest quarterback in the history of football together. Yes, indeed. 
All but right, Glenn, it was exactly, exactly two months ago, December 6th, you marked your 25th anniversary at WIP. Take us back to 1993. You were a respected writer at the Inquirer covering sports business <laughs> primarily, I believe. What made you decide to yeah. take the jump into radio? Um, yeah, give up respected, right? Um, so <laughs> I had been in newspapers for 15 years, and I really liked it. Um, but I think I was getting a little tired, and um, I also think, unfortunately, I foresaw the future as not being um, very optimistic for, for newspapers and print media. No, I mean, I did. I I had worked at a newspaper in Detroit that had really been in financial trouble. I, I kind of saw the signs that it was not a growth business. It was a shrinking business. I had done some radio part-time uh, and some TV on the old great sports debate. I really liked it. And when the opportunity came up, um, it just seemed like the right time for a career change. I remember when I got into it, I said to my wife, I don't know how it's going to work out, but if I can get five good years out of this, I'll consider it, you know, that, that we, we did okay. And so that was 25 years ago. So the five years came and went. So it, it worked out just fine for me. And I've gotten to work with great people over there, um, really talented people. Uh, other hosts and the producers and, and the, the people who run the station and the listeners are, I, I just love them to death. So it, it, it turned out to be a great move for me. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, speaking of great moves, Glenn, let's talk beer. You've got yeah. that contract <laughs> and brewing uh, booming. What, how many places yeah. we have open now and what's in the future? Well, we've got four places open today, um, which are in uh, Conshohocken, Havertown, Bridgeport, and Phoenixville. And we've got a fifth one opening um, maybe by the end of the month or, or March at the latest, which is going to be in King of Prussia, which is going to be our biggest place. It's going to take over as our production brewery. We're doubling our capacity to brew beer, which means we'll have a lot more out in cans uh, in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. Um, and we'll have a lot more available. And the new place is going to be fun because it's going to have uh, an auditorium and a conference area. So if you want to come over and have a meeting of your 50 closest friends for work or something like that, we're going to be able to uh, to accommodate that. Awesome. Hey, speaking awesome. of beer, where where do I sign up for a gig like what you and Joe Sixpack have going on? What's brewing? You sit at a tavern and sample a bunch of different beers, and you make a TV show out of it. I know. They pay us for that. It's really like Seinfeld where it's about nothing. It's just he and I sit around and drink beer and talk about it. Um, But we're delighted. It gets ratings and people watch it, Um, which I guess proves if you put something on TV, people will watch it. Uh, We're taking a little hiatus now. We're coming back in March with the show. You're right. It's called What's Brewing. It uh, premieres every Saturday at 11, which – I thought it was an odd time, but you know what? It turned out to be a great time because people are coming home, and maybe they're going to put on SNL at 11:30. We're on for half an hour. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and um, and then they Comcast or uh, excuse me, NBC Sports Philadelphia reruns it a few times during the week. We have a blast with it. And Joe Sixpacks, the thing is, he knows beer. I don't, you know, I mean, I know beer a little bit, but he really knows beer, and I know how to drink beer, so it works out <laughs> fine. <laughs> Final question, Glenn. We've talked previously about the chemistry you and Ray Dinger have on your extremely popular weekend show on WIP, but I want to ask, has he ever watched a TV show that you recommended? No, and, and it drives <laughs> me crazy. 
It really does. We do a thing every Saturday called What We're Watching. Yeah. Uh, we'll either review a movie or a TV show. He generally goes to the movies. I, I just think TV. There's so many great shows on TV, so I try to get to a bunch. And he never watches it. And I have offered. You know, a lot of the shows are on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever. And I have offered to pay for his subscription <laughs> to, so that he would have the access and ability to watch the show. And he just kind of shrugs, you know, he just, I, I, I don't know what, I'm telling you, there's great shows that I try to get him to see and I, I just, I can't move the man. I know, I hear you. <laughs> All right, Glenn. Well, hey, we appreciate you coming by and, and joining us. Congratulations on your 25 fantastic years at WIP and your fifth Concha Hawk and Brewing Company. Hey, thanks, guys. It's really been my pleasure. You guys uh, have a great one tonight. Stay out of the rain. All right. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Glenn. All right. See ya. They've been with us for quite a while now, so you know there's always plenty going on at the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn. Trivia every Wednesday evening, a DJ every Friday night, and live bands most Saturdays. This Saturday, the 9th, it'll be Bases Loaded, and on the 16th, it's the return of Big Whiskey. Speaking of music, the Irish Rover is going to have acoustic duos there Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. This week, Krista and Joe starting at 3 p.m. Sunday. Of course, you can also expect lunch specials, dinner specials, happy hour specials, and always 24 beers on tap. Check the website for more details, irishroverstationhouse.com. The Irish Rover is on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne. Hey, Chet, speaking of the Rover, we have a special announcement to make regarding the Irish Rover Station House. Let's make it right now. Yes, we do, and I was hoping to have Chris Gaskill on with us from the Rover, either live or taped, but... She was very under the weather yesterday, so get well, Chris. We'll have to make the announcement without you. Yeah, we hinted at this previously. We are taking our Philly Press Box radio show on the road for a second time, doing a show live with an audience there to join us. This one, as you might have guessed, at the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne. It'll be Sunday, March 3rd at 1 p.m. at the Irish Rover on Bellevue Avenue. You, Bill, Fred Hugo, and I will be there. Maybe a special guest. We shall see. Come grab some lunch, have a beer, and say hi to us. Again, it is Sunday, March 3rd at 1 p.m. Cannot wait, Chet. We had a blast when we did this over at the Red Lantern on our first uh, our first go-round, and uh, really excited to go to the Rover. They've supported us almost from day one in our little uh, Philly Press Box Radio venture, and we're really excited about going up there and uh, being with them. Yeah, we're coming up on two years with them, so uh, we really appreciate their support. Uh, yes, we do. Good stuff. And, Chris, get better, and uh, yes. we'll see you soon. All right, Chad, hey, um, before we get to our Q2 segment of the show, you, Fred, and I picked our Super Bowl winners last week. How did we do? Well, I'm glad you asked because I absolutely wanted to mention our postseason prediction final standing so as to point out that, as with our regular season competition, I won the non-existent trophy. And, by the way, I think it's a trophy that we should call the Q Harrick Trophy because we're all yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, you and I both it's sad correctly that you picked... won. We, we <laughs> might did. want to add that as well. Yeah, you and I both correctly picked the Patriots to beat the Rams. Fred did not. So for the postseason, I went seven and four. Hey, that's not bad. You and Fred were both five and six. Ooh boy. Ooh boy. 
Uh, well, I got the Super Bowl right. I know that. Hey, speaking of the Super Bowl, uh, how do you feel about it? Uh, you think it was a yawner? Because I think you and I probably feel differently. You know, I heard Ray Dinger on WIP today with uh, Joe DeCamera and John Ritchie, and he feels, I think, the way I do. It was not nearly as bad as what a lot of people thought. People are so, you know, dismissive of a game that's not 41-33, for example, like the Eagles game last year against the Patriots, uh, a high-scoring back-and-forth affair. It was a decent defensive battle. No, it was not a great game. Brady, as Glenn mentioned, did not have a great game. Jared Goff was pretty awful. But the game was at least competitive, and I'd rather see that than some of the blowouts. And we've seen you know, six or seven or eight blowouts over the years in the Super Bowl. So at least it was a competitive game. It was not nearly as bad as what a lot of people said. Yeah, and, and the part I like being an old O-line guy, I mean, that was trench warfare going on between those two teams, the offensive lines, the defensive lines. Uh, great coaching, strategic moving, uh, trying to blitz, picking up blitz, trying to create situations. To me, it was a lot of fun to watch. It, it, you know, watching the Eagles score all in points last year was certainly fun, especially when they ended up winning. Uh, but I have no problem with the way that game went. And uh, at the end of the day, I think you sat there and looked at it, and I, I said at the beginning of the second quarter there about Jared Goff is not winning this football game. He's not good enough to win this football game. And when is Tom Brady going to make that one big play that's going to break it open? And he did. finally he did. He threw it to Gronk. He went to his, his main guy and uh, made the one play it took to win the game. You know, and I heard Ray Diddy say on WIP today that he was looking at golf before the game. I guess it was during the anthem they showed him. He said he looked and saw, he could see in his eyes that golf looked nervous. Ray said he said to his wife, uh-oh, they're going down. That kid's not ready. And, boy, he was uh, right. Goff, golf was terrible. He, he was, he was, and he looked, he was confused, and uh, he got pressure, and uh, Belichick was doing things that uh, – he hadn't seen, and his coach was not able to correct that either. So um, this one this one goes a little more to Belichick and his staff, I think, of uh, winning this one. How about Sean McVay after the game saying he was outcoached? I mean, yeah, obviously he was, but you don't hear a coach say that often. He was definitely outcoached. Well, if you got a 33, 34-year-old coach who says he got outcoached by a 67-year-old guy with six Super Bowl rings. It's <laughs> it's not like he got beat by the by the bum down the street. Yeah, that is true. All right. Okay, Chad, it's Q2 time. Explain to the listeners how this works, and uh, I am ready for week two. Yes, week two of our third season of Random Q2. For our new listeners or our regulars who may have a failing memory, I'll tell you that Random Q2 is a little 10-week series where over two minutes or so each week, I'll hit you, Bill, with two questions. One will be about a sports topic, something timely usually, while the second question will be one of ten random questions that have already been written down about whatever. Bill will pick a number from one to ten each week for that one, a mere two minutes of fun total, fun or agony each week. That being said, here we go. Um, A lot of us on Facebook recently mentioned our all-time favorite athletes in each of the various sports, and I want to ask you about two of yours. All these years later, you say your favorite NFL player is Bill Berge. Tell me about your admiration of Berge, and secondly, why Bob Rigby is your favorite soccer guy. All right. Well, first of all, Bill Berge was – I was a linebacker as a youngster when I, I played offensive guard and middle linebacker as a kid, and that was at the time that Bill Berge was the man in uh, in Philadelphia and – 
There was nothing more I wanted to be as a kid than Bill Berge. Watched everything he did, tried to play the game the way he played it, and he was good. And uh, unfortunately, I was trying to do it at 160 pounds, and he was doing it at 260 pounds. But that didn't mean I didn't want to play like him. Gotcha. And how about Bob and Rigby? Bob Rigby, Bob Rigby, actually, the Philadelphia Adams. I want to say uh, Philadelphia Adams, sorry, uh, yeah. 1971, 2, 71 like that. Yeah. And uh, Bob Rigby was from Ridley High School in Delaware County, not far from where I lived. And uh, so I knew, and I knew very little bit about soccer, but I remember him being on the cover of Sports Illustrated way back in the day. And from there, I got a little interest. And, of course, he was in the local newspapers and all that. And that's where Bob Rigby came from. And uh, I am not a very big soccer fan uh, to this day. I mean, I know the, I know the big names, uh, mainly the females, more than the males. Um, but uh, yeah, Bob Rigby was probably my first, and then of course Pele back in that day also. But they were they were the original guys for me. Gotcha. For your second question, Bill, you know how the drill is uh, here. You pick a number from one to ten. You already used ten last week, so pick something from one to nine this week. Uh, let's go with number five for that Johnny Bench. He was on my list. Number five, tell me a food that you loved as a kid, a preteen, that you still love today. Anything Italian. <laughs> so Any, like, anything Italian. I would eat Italian food every, twice a day, every day, if given the option. Yeah, for Absolutely. me, like, kids' foods like Fruit Loops, SpaghettiOs, toast with cinnamon sugar, I still eat those things today, and I still love them. Well, I, if you're going to go specific with the specific items, I would probably go with. Uh, I could still eat pop tarts. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Used to carry them. You know, walk to school eating them, and uh, I still eat them today. So if you're looking right, for give, an individual item, that would probably be it. I'll give you an A minus. You did very well this week. All right, man. I don't know what you got to do to get an A, but <laughs> I'll, I'll take the A minus. Okay. All right, Chet. Hey, if you're looking for insurance in the tri-state area, we've got the spot for you. Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. You know it, Bill. It is true. One of the best benefits of having an Allstate Insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoie, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs, someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. Click on the Allstate banner on our Philly Press Box Radio website or call Dave directly at 610-430-0700. Again, it is Dave Lavoie at Allstate Insurance in Westchester, 610-430-0700. All right, hey, Chet, let's talk Sixers. Uh, you know, I know you get excited first about the Sixers, and, of course, we've had this blockbuster trade that we've talked a little bit about. We'll talk a little more about that, but second – when you get a chance to talk to another 25-year legend, the voice of the Sixers, Mark Zumoff, that really gets you fired up. Yeah, and what a super guy. We had Mark on in February of last year, and I was able to get him to talk with me again for our show this year, and he did not disappoint. Mark Zumoff is a true pro in every sense of the word. Listen to his responses. He clearly puts a lot of thought into all his answers. Didn't just go through the motions. We talked about the current Sixers, of course, a couple of Sixers legends from days gone by. You'll see why. And his 25 years behind the mic. Now, this is our chat, and I have to tell everybody it took place before the big trade. Mark and I talked on Monday. He's a busy guy. And, by the way, you'll hear a few audio clips of Mark within our interview, and they are, of course, courtesy NBC Sports Philadelphia. So here we go. 
Reddick, can he get it off? He does for three. Making a return visit to Philly Press Box Radio almost a year to the date from his first visit, the terrific play-by-play voice of the 76ers, Mark Zumoff. Welcome back, Mark. Chet, what an absolute pleasure it is to speak with you again. Thanks so much for reaching out. Oh, my pleasure. Full disclosure to our listeners, Mark and I are talking Monday ahead of the Sixers' big Tuesday night meeting with the Raptors. So, Mark, two-thirds into a challenging 12-game stretch against potential playoff teams, what have we learned about Brett Brown's team? That's a really interesting question, Chet. We learned they could win a big game, which they did certainly at Golden State. I think we learned that, well, in no particular order, that Ben Simmons was indeed confirmed at All-Star, which I think we all kind of knew. I think Ben and Jimmy Butler have worked well together. I think we're learning that the Sixers have gotten better defensively. And again, I go back to the Warriors game where they held them to 104 points and what was it, 44 points in the second half. Yeah. I don't think they are where they need to be defensively in order to be an elite team. And I think that their roster is still a work in progress. We'll see what Elton Brand has in store. This is a very important week for the team, given the February 7th trade deadline, not to mention a waiver signing that might occur uh, later on in the season as well. But I, I feel encouraged. I think that this is a team that could certainly get out of the East, depending on how they do against the Celtics. I I do think the Celtics are still the best team in the East, even though the standings don't currently reflect that. And I think the Toronto test, which will have already been played, is going to be a good one for the Sixers. I think they need to show, especially after a couple of bad losses at their place, that they can take care of business at home against, again, one of the best teams in the East, the Raptors. Pretty basic question right here, but how good is Joel Embiid right now? And assuming good health, what's he going to be like two or three years from now? He's really good. He is, well, you know, it's funny. We we saw one of the better big men in the league, and we don't hear much about him because he plays out west in Nikola Jokic in Denver. And the two of them have similar skill sets, Chet, in that they can handle the ball. They can make other, other players better. They know how to get their own shot. I don't think that uh, Jokic is as good an outside shooter, nor do I think he's as pretty as Joel in terms of fluidity and that sort of thing. But my goodness, if if there's a better big man in the NBA right now, save for maybe Anthony Davis, if you want to compare the two, I think they play two different positions. I don't know who is. Uh, How good can he become? What can he do in terms of being an even better passer and recognizing double teams, not turning the ball over? Other than that, he is clearly the, the guy who makes the Sixers defensive scheme work based on the fact that he is so good at guarding the goal and protecting the lane and aware as a help defender. How much better can he get? I don't know, but I'm excited to find out. Simmons, some magic around Kepi. Wow! Marvelous play by Ben Simmons. I know we all want to see Ben Simmons develop more of an outside game, more jumpers, but he was pretty impressive in January, especially in the win over Golden State last Thursday. How much fun do you have watching his development? It's really way too much fun because they're, except for maybe Magic Johnson, and again, because Magic did so much with his career, and he's a Hall of Famer, you don't want to necessarily compare the two, but who else in NBA history can you look back on and say, you saw a player that can do what Ben Simmons is doing right now? 
I believe that he's taking the jump shot more. I think he's got a little bit more confidence in it, not as much as I think he or what the coaches would like to see in the future. But I am encouraged by the fact that he does take it in certain situations. Uh, I don't know how much of a three-point shooter he'll get to be in his career, but I still think that you could be an excellent player and not necessarily have a consistent three-point shot, though that would help a great deal. I still think he needs to work on the defensive end, though he's gotten better. I think that he can have a real effect on the game. And I'm not just talking about blocking shots and steals, but his ability to uh, recognize where he can help his teammates, his ability to stay in front of his own man, and just using that wonderful athleticism and width that he has, I think will ultimately make him a very good defensive player. Butler for the win. Yes! Butler buries the three. All right, look into your crystal ball, Mark. Will Jimmy Butler be a 76er beyond this season? I think so, Chet. I think that things are beginning to come together with him. People in our society expect instant gratification, which I totally understand, given the fact that we get so much now off the Internet. You can drive up to a restaurant and get a ready-made meal. This is the way we are conditioned. But I look back on LeBron James when he first met the Miami and how difficult that situation was. Yes, they eventually went to the finals, and he did play with two other future Hall of Famers, but that took a little time to get together before they finally hit their stride and won those back-to-back titles. And I think the Sixers feel like they can re-sign him. I'd like to see the Sixers re-sign him. I would like to think that Jimmy would like to come back here. If you don't re-sign him, then you've given up two quality players and Robert Covington and Dario Scharch without getting anything in return. And listen, if it doesn't work out down the road, you could always figure out a way to parlay it into something else. But for right now, I think he's destined to be a Sixer, and I would think that the Sixers will wrap things up with him come the summertime in terms of this contract. I hope you're right. Now, this Friday, Mark, the 76ers will retire the number two worn by the late great Moses Malone. Any particular memories of that fantastic player? Moses gave the Sixers, I think, more than anything, an air of confidence. Remember that the essence of that team lost in the finals in 77 and again in 80 and 82. They needed someone to help show them the way, not that Julius Irving wasn't good enough or Andrew Tony or Maurice Cheeks, but in that environment and the way that they were structured, the fact that they needed an element of toughness and rebounding and certainly the scoring that Moses gave them, I think that the trade that the Sixers made at the time quite obviously was a good one because he eventually brought them a title. But he was not the prettiest player. He was not the greatest athlete. But he would outwork just about anyone else on the floor. And he had the uncanny ability by game's end, even though he wasn't, again, a very fluid player, to get his 20-some points, to get a massive amount of rebounds, and just give the Sixers an air of confidence. I go back to that because I think that's, the main thing that he gave them when he was first brought to the team. Yeah, great player for sure. All right, Zoo, it is your 25th season calling Sixers games on television. Kudos to the way the team and NBC Sports Philly celebrated that fact last month. That was awesome. Does it feel like 25 years already? The older you get, Chet, I think the faster time goes. Hmm. And it, quite frankly, doesn't feel like 25 years because, I mean, when I first got the position, I, I was so thankful because it was something that I always wanted to do that I immediately just put my head down and worked as hard as I could at my craft, getting better, learning the league, learning the team, understanding history, understanding strategy, understanding TV and working with that. 
And I'd like to think, Chet, that I have the same work ethic to this day where I just go to work every day and I don't think about how many years I've been doing it or accolades or awards or any of that stuff. But in this particular instance, I was sort of forced in a way to stop and smell the roses. And when I did, I was really astounded, quite frankly, at the reaction of the fans because you never stop to think as the voice of a team that you are in their living rooms, you're on their phones, you are a constant presence with them during games, week after week, season after season. And I'd like to think that that was reflected in that evening where you know, I felt a lot of love from Sixers fans all over the place. So it was pretty astounding. Does it feel like 25 years to answer your original question? Not really, only because I'm just focused on my work, but I'm really grateful for having done what I've done, and I'm grateful to the Sixers and NBC Sports Philadelphia for marking the occasion. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the zooisms, Mark. Turning garbage into gold. And I loved it on that telecast that I mentioned when they showed all of your zooisms. I mean, Harry Callis had, out of here. Merrill Reese says, it's good. But you have several memorable phrases. Turning garbage into gold, we're on the seesaw, and of course, hang on, we're coming in for a landing, among others. I'm curious about the origin of catchphrases like that. How do those develop? I will say this, Chet, for about 13 years before I became the voice of the team, I hosted the halftimes, pregame, postgame, what have you. And one of the things that I had to do was report and do feature work. And that not only helped me to make contacts, understand the league, understand the game, and meet a lot of people, but there was a lot of writing that went on. And what I learned to do was write to video. And when you write to video, you try not to be literal. You try to write in a way that enhances what people can already see. And in doing that, I think that helped to craft my ability to come up with phrases for different situations, different moments in a game, as opposed to just coming up with something that's a little more literal. So uh, that's kind of the way that my brain works. Sometimes you'll think about it right away. Sometimes you'll think about it on the game, on the way to the game. And, you know, it kind of is rolling around in your head and you hope that you use it. And then if I seem to get a positive reaction from fans after using it, it sort of becomes part of my regular rotation, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So that's the derivation of that. That's kind of where it comes from. And I'm, I'm happy that fans are, are happy with it. Final two questions. I love the fact that Hal Greer was your favorite player as a kid. I loved him, Wilt, and Billy C. Why was Greer your favorite? That's a good question, and I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe you know I couldn't identify with a, with a guy seven feet or a guy like Luke Jackson who was six nine two fifty. So I loved Hal Greer's game. His jump shot was as sweet as any that we've ever seen in NBA history. It was so good he used it as a free throw. Mm-hmm. And then because I latched myself onto him when you know he had something around his knee or something on his thigh or wore wristbands or something like that when I went outside on my basket that was on the television phone pole hanging in front of my house I tended to do the same thing so I I can't explain it I don't know what it was that attracted me to him but he carried me through those early years got me into the game and I wouldn't be where I am today without having followed him and uh, become energized and inspired by what he did as a professional and finally Mark you tweeted a couple of weeks ago 25 years living the dream now similarly I've talked to Merrill Reese for our show every September the last four years and he says he counts his blessings that he's able to do his dream job. I think Merrill's 42 years into his great gig. Do you see yourself doing Sixers games pretty much the rest of your life? That's a great question, Chet. And that's 
not a question that I can answer only based on the fact that I don't know what the future is going to bring in terms of health. I don't know what it's going to bring in terms of what others are going to decide that, you know, I'm there at the behest of NBC Sports Philadelphia and the 76ers, and hopefully they'll continue to like what I do. I certainly feel good. It's certainly something that I like to do for the foreseeable future. But all I know is that I have a schedule this year that I'm going to show up for those games, and, you know, we'll see what happens next year and for years to come. But I'm pretty optimistic that I can do the job, hopefully as long as I want to do it Hmm. or can do it. Mark, you do a fantastic job, and you and Allah are a joy to listen to. Watch and listen to this guy on Sixers Games on NBC Sports Philly, and follow him on Twitter, at Mark Zumoff. Thanks, Mark. Again, congratulations on Season 25, and best of luck to you and the team the rest of the way. Appreciate it, Chad. Thank you. Well, Chad, great stuff. Zoom is always Zoo is always good, that's for sure. Yeah, he's terrific. Really enjoyed talking to him. We hope he can do it you know, again soon, before next February. Yeah, well, and hey, real quick, we didn't get, uh, obviously, you didn't get to talk to him about the trade since uh, it was just last night, but uh, what do you make of this trade? The the Sixers giving up three players, four draft picks, four three players. Um, You you buying? You a buyer on this or seller? I'm a buyer. Uh, Initially, I was concerned because they gave up a lot. I mean, they gave up, you know, some active players, and Shamit looks like he could be a player. They gave up a bunch of draft picks, but when you think about it, the draft picks are going to be primarily low-end picks because the Sixers are going to be good the next two years. The one pick is the Miami pick, which is unprotected. I think that's a couple years down the road. So you've got to hope Miami uh, gets a little better because otherwise you're giving away a fairly high draft pick. But I like the deal because I like this Harris. He's gotten better pretty much every year. He's 26. He can score. He's a great three-point shooter. And I heard Keith Pompey on 97.5 today and this cut courtesy Keith Pompey talking about what Tobias can do to help open up the floor for the Sixers. Tobias Harris is a guy where Embiid can go back down on the block and doesn't have to worry about coming out in the perimeter because Tobias is like a stretch four. He's also a scorer. So he is the guy that they need to make this group, you know, this starting lineup formidable to go up against, you know, Toronto and, and Boston and, and Milwaukee and so forth. So, yeah, Keith likes it. A lot of the NBA insiders say the Sixers did get a real good player here. They gave up a lot, and you have to, of course, re-sign Tobias Harris now, or it's not going to be a good deal, but I think that they will do that. And so I like it. I can't wait to see what happens over the next few weeks. Well, I, I'm kind of I'm, – I'm a little leery, Chet. You know, that, that's how I am. Uh, yeah. I, I, I like it for the short term. Um, it's awful risky for getting these, both of these guys uh, – Tobias and Jimmy Butler for next year. You and Glenn both now think that Jimmy goes. Um, You know, they've given up their treasure chest of – their war chest, if you will, of of assets for these two guys. If they were to come up empty on both of these guys starting next season, boy, that that would be a disaster. And speaking of coming up empty, Markel Fultz, who hasn't played, uh, you know, in months now, uh, there's a lot of talk that he will be traded tomorrow. A couple of the insiders say he is very likely to be traded tomorrow because there are a couple of teams who will take a gamble on him. I don't know what they're going to give up to get him, but the Markel Fultz era may be ending tomorrow. Is that the Penn Quakers or the LaSalle Explorers? Who's trading for him? <laughs> there's a couple of teams. I think the Magic is one, and there's another team or two that is interested. Again, I don't know if it's just a second-round pick or if it's a you know contributing player, but – it looks like he's going to have played his last game for the Sixers. We'll see tomorrow. Wow, that'll be interesting. 
All right. Hey, Chad, a topic we didn't get to with Glenn that uh, we have to discuss since we don't have Bryce Harper to talk about is the Phillies Wall of Fame nominees. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, Chad, I'm going to let you, you talk about this a little bit. But if this is all they got, they might want to just skip the year or skip a few years until the 08 guys come due. Yeah, after honoring both Pat Gillick and the late Roy Halladay last year, the Phils on Monday unveiled their 2019 candidates, and they are as follows. Bobby Abreu, Steve Bedrosian, Rich Doobie, Jim Fregosi, Gene Garber, Doug Glanville, Bake McBride, Placido Polanco, Scott Rowland, and Manny Trio. Try to contain your excitement about that list and tell me your three votes, and then I'll tell you who my three were. Uh, there's only one. Bobby well, yeah, Abreu is the only guy. Bobby Abreu is the only guy that can be voted for out of this list. Yeah, you that's, get to vote it. for three on the Phillies website, so you can vote for three, but yeah, only one will go in. So you would definitely say Abreu. Who else would you consider? Well, I, I mean, Scott Rowland was certainly a good enough player. I guess you could throw him in the mix. He left on bad terms. Does he belong in your Wall of Fame for that? Um, Manny Trio and Bake McBride. I guess could be in there, you know, if you had to. Trio just wasn't here long enough. McBride was good. He was here for a good run. But Wall of Fame? Eh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I'll so tell you I guess I if for. I was forced, that's where I'd have to go. Okay, I'll tell you about mine in my parting shot, because that's actually my parting shot topic tonight. So stay tuned a couple of minutes away. All right. I didn't know that was your parting shot, but I gave you my three anyway. All right, Jed, let's give a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autographed memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it, it's PPCC118RASROOM. That's right, it's PPCC118RASROOM on Facebook. And, Chet, by the yeah. way, there's a Nick Foles item up there right now, autographed item, and a Brent Selleck Jayajayi choice. Uh, so there's some Eagles things posted up there right now. Very nice. Hey, Chet, one thing before we, uh, we find out who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week, we want to say – Happy 124th birthday to the Bambino. <laughs> Babe Bruce's birthday today, Chad, 124 years young. Wonder what he'd think of the game today. Yeah, I saw our buddy John Roberts uh, kind of hinting that we make sure to mention that. So if you didn't, I would have yet. Yeah, boy, he'd make a lot of money if he were a free agent, wouldn't he? Babe Bruce, 124 <laughs> yeah. years ago today he was born. And speaking of birthdays, while I have 20 seconds, it's this guy's birthday as well. <laughs> Happy 57 to Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Just had to get that in 57, there. 57, huh? 57. Yeah. 57. Just a mere child compared to the Sultan <laughs> Swat. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, hey, Chad, who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable next Wednesday? Next week, Bill, we have a guy on with us whom we had on just about a year ago at this time. He writes a book every year, the annual Phillies Minor League Digest. So he'll have plenty to say about Phillies prospects, and maybe, just maybe, we'll have some news on Harper or Machado by next week. That guest, Steve Potter, he'll be back. And we will have a second guest who, unfortunately, isn't available to join us live. 
She's got Delaware Bluecoats games the next couple of Wednesdays. But I'll be talking to our pal D. Lynham ahead of the show, simply because we have D. on every year in February and because we love having her on with us. All right. That'd be good. And uh, looking forward to spring training, Chad. It's right around the corner. And, uh, you know, we're, we're still going to see what happens with these free agents. But I, I've already seen Steve Potter's been making posts. He's down there at uh, Clearwater every day at the at the complex. And uh, he's already fired up, getting it going. Yeah. Can't wait to have him back. All right. Looking forward to it. Well, Chad, as always, we want to let our listeners and remind our loyal listeners to visit our Philly Press Box Radio website, phillypressboxradio.com. We cover all the big stories of the Philly sports teams. We also write a few articles ourselves, and you can listen to our last two podcasts and our latest Vimeo as well. We still have our sponsor banners going across the top. Click on the Irish Rover Station House. <laughs> Bob Sullivan's like your age.com. All state insurance banners to go directly to their websites. Remember, it's phillypressboxradio.com. And, hey, if you're listening now, you obviously know how to find us, but please also subscribe to our show on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe to the show called Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable. We're also on Stitcher, and I really like the way you can access us on the TuneIn app. I'm a big fan of TuneIn, so favorite us on there. There you go. And, Mr. Chesco, do you have a parting shot tonight? Because I do not. I've been busy at work, like, way too much, and I don't even have it. crap we missed tonight. Well, you've got to get your priorities in order. Yes. As I said That's a few right. minutes ago, the Phillies on Monday unveiled their 2019 Wall of Fame candidates. And in all honesty, as you said, Bill, it's a list of names that isn't going to inspire throngs of people to rush out and buy tickets for the August game when the name is added to the wall. Let's face it, we're just killing time for a year or two down the road when guys like Utley, Rollins, Howard, Ruiz, and Hamels start to get honored. This year's list includes a bunch of nice players, you know, Doug Glanville, Bake McBride, Placido Polanco, Manny Trio. There are a couple of pretty decent relievers, Steve Bedrosian, who actually won a Cy Young in 1987, and Gene Garber from back in the 70s. There's manager Jim Fregosi, who in his six seasons as Phil Skipper had exactly one winning season, that magical 1993 campaign. And there's a pitching coach on the list for some reason, Rich Doobie, really. But there are two legitimate wall-worthy candidates, and only two if you ask me, Bobby Abreu and Scott Rowland. Abreu spent nine years as a Phil, hitting three oh three with 195 home runs and 254 stolen bases, while Roland was here for seven years, batting two eighty two with 150 homers, 559 RBI, and a slugging percentage of five oh four. Both certainly had their critics among Phillies fans for various reasons, and Roland didn't exactly leave on the best terms. The guess here is that Abreu will be the choice and that's the way I would go as well. I voted for Abreu. My backups were Roland and, just for the heck of it, Bake McBride. There you go. Well, I guess we're uh, we're actually on target on that one, I think. But uh, just not much to choose from. And I think uh, you just shut that thing down for a little while if that's the best you could do. Yeah, that's all we got. All right. Well, Mr. Chesco, with that, we've reached the top of the hour, so let's thank our special guest tonight, Glenn Macnow, Mark Zumoff, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Razroom, and Dave Lavoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, February 13th at 7 p.m. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or you can find our podcasts on iTunes and TuneIn. 
High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Ha, 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 ha,